I'm here today with one of the co-authors of a new book called Reparations, A Christian Call for Repentance and Repair. Duke Kwan is the lead, po- lead pastor at Grace Meridian Hill, a neighborhood congregation in the Grace DC network committed to building cross-cultural community in Washington, DC. Duke is active in public conversations around race, equity, and racial repair in the American church, and he lectures on these topics around the country. His work has appeared in the Washington Post, Christianity Today, and The Witness. So Duke, it's really wonderful to uh, have you join us here. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk about your book. Thanks for having me, Brian. Appreciate being here. Well, it's my pleasure. Um, So before we talk about the book itself, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your background than what I briefly touched on. Yeah, I'm here in the nation's capital, um, married with three kids, three young kids, and this is home for us. All the kids were born here, so uh, District of Columbia uh, residents and committed to being here for the long haul as we've built a church community uh, right here in the city. I grew up in California, though, so Southern California uh, in a small desert town outside of L.A., so uh, that's where my roots are. Those roots don't show up in every place, but they do show up on in my uh, NBA fandom, so I'm still a diehard Lakers fan, <laughs> uh, so still grieving their recent loss, um, oh. but, uh, but came over here to the East Coast uh, for college and um, haven't gone back since, so I still have family over there, but uh, did a little bit of um, after-college uh, work in management consulting, and then eventually made my way over to seminary, did some further studies there, and then um, uh, after campus ministry, came down here in D.C., uh, to be a part of a, a network of, of local churches here in the District of Columbia. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I'd love to learn more about your churches, too. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> um, but um, you get in this really interesting book. You know, reparations is kind of a you know controversial topic, um, which I think is really good for us to be talking about some of these things that, um, as a society, we've been reluctant to deal with. Right. Um, how did the book come about? Well, um, the book itself came about when Greg and I, who um, we knew each other, part of the same denomination, intersected in our campus ministry circles and and such, uh, knew each other, but not super well. Um, But it was really after um, a gathering of uh, ministry leaders after the Charleston shooting um, at Mother Emanuel um, several years ago that we we're back in touch, finding ourselves in the same room talking about um, race and racism and, and what the church can and should do about that. That's how we got reacquainted. And then um, a couple of years ago, I spoke at a conference um, in Nashville on the topic of reparations. Greg also was there, happened to be in the audience. Uh, before the day was over, texted me, hey, let's get together. We got to talk about maybe writing a book together. Um, just having found in each other a, a, a unicorn uh, that was interested in the topic of reparations and actually believed in its moral validity um, and its practical necessity. And, um, and so we started talking about it. I mean, both of us are on our own journeys in terms of how we even arrived at this point, right? For myself, a big part of that story was being a church planter and a pastor here in a historically Black city. Um, that continues to uh, struggle with different issues of, of race that's embedded in city policy and in, even in the culture of the city. And so for us to, to start a church community and to learn to love neighbor meant learning more about um, African-American culture and history and, 
including the history of the black church. So diving more and more into African-American thought, um, again, as an exercise of love, um, that's how I began to um, bump into the notion of reparations again and again as a normal conversation in the black community, as, as, as not a uh, sort of an alien species, uh, this sort of uncomfortable topic uh, that the rest of us uh, view reparations as being, uh, but rather for centuries, generations, um, it being just a, a part of, of uh, black Americans thinking through and black Christians thinking through what does it look like to achieve equality and to rectify past wrongs um, that were committed against African-Americans. So um, the more I got acquainted with, with how that thought was formed and the more I saw the case being made uh, from scripture, uh, the more I became convicted that this is something uh, that's, again, not only uh, morally legitimate, that, but actually needs to be taken up by the Christian church in America as a central way in which we pursue healing uh, across races. Very, very cool. Um, who would you say the primary audience for the book is? Who are you most trying to reach? Yeah, I mean, we definitely um, are located ourselves in um, the Presbyterian tradition and more broadly in the evangelical uh, tradition here in America. And so uh, that, that audience comes naturally to us on some level uh, but we know that in order for uh, reparations to actually be fruitful in this nation, that we really uh, want to see a much broader audience um, embrace these, this core vision. And so we really had in mind a, a fairly broad um, sort of Protestant American um, church uh, type of um, group in mind and a broad audience of those who might generally be all, uh, open to the possibility that reparations is something that scripture speaks into, um, doesn't need to be already convinced, um, but certainly we did not set this up as a primarily a polemical work, trying to answer every question or every point of resistance that a person might, might have. And so we weren't dealing with the, the corners of the bell curve as it were, uh, but rather um, the middle of folks, um, whoever's willing to hear, listen, to grow, to learn, and to get on board um, as we do this work of repair together. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, the book description says, this book makes a compelling historical and theological case for the church's obligation to provide reparations for the oppression of African-Americans. Can you tell us a little bit about the elements of making that case? Yeah, the case that we make, um, if I could just review it quickly, is, is first we... Um, clarify what exactly we mean by racism. And that is that there are, of course, different ways in which people talk about race. And the reason why this question matters is because uh, depending on how you diagnose the nature of the problem, you'll come up with different solutions. That stands for reason, right? So if racism is just a, a problem of broken relationships, then the solution is the healing of interpersonal relationships. That's called reconciliation. That's a biblical idea. Uh, if it's just a matter of wrong-headed notions about people that are different than ourselves, racist ideas, then what we really need is just education, change people's minds about things. If it's just about broken institutions, then what we need to do is uh, engage in the work of reform. What we do is we define racism in a way that understands it more as a cultural phenomenon. It is all those things I just listed, broken relationships, uh, racist ideas uh, that marginalize and subjugate other people. Um, together with institutional practices. It's all of that. But by calling racism a culture, we're saying it's both 
uh, the source and the sum of all these things. It's a broken uh, uh, ecosystem of institutions, ideas, norms, values, and human beings all wrapped up in one. And in defining it in that way, we then make the case that the racism that we see in America is best understood as white supremacy. Uh, that is a cultural of dominance, a culture of dominance, and a social system, a social order that confers advantage to those that are designated white and disadvantage and exclusion to those who are otherwise. In defining things in that way, so this is our starting point. This is really what we argue in chapters one and two. What we're setting ourselves up for there is to say the problem is really deep, really wide, and really long. In other words, tinkering at the edges, doing a little bit of work of reform on the basis of race over here, or just trying to heal our relationships, getting more people of different backgrounds together in the room, building community, that those things alone will not get down to the heart of the matter. This is what sets up the case for social repair, uh, reparations. We then proceed to explain that the primary social effect, indeed even the essence of white supremacy is that of theft. Most people don't think of ra racism in terms of theft. We think in terms of personal offense, maybe some discrimination, hurt feelings perhaps. But what we say is one of the ways to understand the effect and the forces of white supremacy throughout history is to see the way in which it commits robberies, plunder against the African-American community. We say we see dimensions of thefts of wealth, of power, and thefts of truth. And I can unpack what each of those mean a little bit more. Then we pose the question, what does the Bible say morally? about how we are to rectify theft. How should we address it? We say, well, the Bible says a few things, not just say you're sorry and then move on. That's sort of the American way. <laughs> let's apologize, yes, sort of. And then let's just move on, move forward. What the Bible says is if a theft has been committed, yes, confess your guilt, but you also must make restitution. Give back that which has stolen. Uh, this is a moral obligation based upon the Eighth Commandment and a practice that we find both in the Hebrew Scriptures as well as in the New Testament as affirmed in the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. But there's another thing the Bible says about theft, and that is, even if you yourself are not guilty of theft, you need to restore what was taken from an individual, a victim of robbery, almost as if you yourself had taken it, though you did not. So not hinged to culpability, but rather hinged to the call to neighbor love that we're called to take care of victims of robbery. And this we find in the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? So a Samaritan who was a stranger to this man who was left robbed and almost dead on the roadside and came out of love, out of compassion, gave up his horse, his comfort, gave up even his wealth, right? And putting him in an inn and telling the innkeeper, charge everything to him, everything to me right? Uh, I will pick up the tab. That's restoration, not restitution, restoration. These are the two moral logics uh, that we find in the Bible behind uh, reparations. So the whole work of reparations is restoring that which has been sinfully and immorally taken from the African-American community throughout history, even to the present day. Now, do you deal at all with the analog for Native Americans? We don't. We do recognize that. We acknowledge that that's a, a significant uh, 
additional application, obviously, uh, of the call and the need for reparations. And so we note that. But our focus in, in terms of the scope of the book, we focus primarily on the African-American community. Okay. Okay. But the, prin- but the principles and sort of the moral grounds uh, for whatever repair that needs to happen uh, in the direction of the Native American uh, community uh, certainly applies as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. <laughs> uh, so I know the book has recently been released. What kind of responses have you received so far? Well, it's been, a, it's been the full range. Um, we've seen a number of people that have uh, responded uh, with encouragement and enthusiasm, um, people that um, either were already partly persuaded and just needed to get more information and needed to read sort of a, a, a clear biblical case for reparations um, in the way that we lay it out. Uh, so they, uh, lots of enthusiasm, a lot of people that are saying, well, we're ready to go. What do we do now? What, how shall we move forward? And there's been, uh, as expected, some pushback and some who have uh, declared it to be quite contrary to the Christian vision of things. Um, others who have um, said it, 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 while partially true in bits and pieces on the whole, uh, does not adequately make the case uh, for uh, reparations needing to be made um, uh, towards African-Americans. So the, the full range, and, um, and we, of course, in the nature of this topic, this challenge, um, didn't go in expecting a uniform agreement, 100% of course. agreement. And it's never been the case throughout American history. The, 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 uh, the, the movements, various movements um, of resistance against white supremacy throughout American history has always been a minority movement, uh, a, a small band of, of people um, because of just how entrenched these challenges really are. Uh, so that's uh, no surprise, but, um, but certainly even the um, pushback is helpful too, just in refining the case and in responding to uh, objections and disagreements too. What we, really, what we really want to do, Brian, is just to ignite a conversation, a public conversation that results in fruitful labor. Uh, but it's something that needs to be talked about uh, even before it's something that's done. Exactly. Uh, this, is, this is not something that is uh, a, a natural or comfortable topic uh, for most American Christians and as we say in the introduction, that's one of our hopes, that even the word reparations is uh, shed of its awkwardness and even offense, that it becomes a normal uh, part of the vocabulary of the Christian church and a normal part of the ministry and work of the church. There are a few words like that, aren't there, that need to be <laughs> more fully accepted and not just defensively reacted to. Um, I think so. I think so. So uh, I know you, in the book, you make the case about, you know, why this is necessary. Do you also talk about what form you recommend reparations should take? Well, one thing is that the specific focus of our book is, uh, number one, on the Christian church. And so although we do believe that a moral case can be made for the federal government and state governments and local governments, for instance, in the case of uh, Tulsa and the 1921 uh, uh, race massacre that occurred then and there, and as we remember that 100-year anniversary recently, um, cases can be made using the same moral logic that we lay out. Um, But our focus is on the Christian church, um, in part because of the unique way in which we believe the mission of the church itself, even in addition to its culpability in addition to its call to love 
This is who the church is supposed to be, repairers of the breach, people that love even in amidst evils that it did and did not perhaps commit personally. Um, and uh, the church is, a, uh, is a, an entity that ought to always have a missionary identity, um, serving and, and loving even at great cost to ourselves. And so we believe um, that the first place, especially as Christian ministers, that we needed to start was to make a call to the church uh, for repentance and repair, which is the subtitle of the book. Um, also specifically, we talk about um, in terms of it being the work of a church, therefore also being a work in the local community. So we're not primarily focused on sort of a national uh, horizon um, and, a, and a, a work enacted by the federal government. Uh, we're thinking of ways in which local churches in their local communities can invest in relationships with local African-American leaders to follow their lead and to do various labors of repair in restoring truth and restoring power and restoring wealth. Um, and so um, it's a very local work and that reflects in part, uh, not only a desire of ours to make this actionable by every kind of Christian community right where they are, but it also reflects, I believe, our conviction that local is how white supremacy was actually weaved into the fabric of American society in the first place. In every corner, every institution, in small towns, as well as big cities, not just by public policy at the federal level, though importantly that happened too, um, but there's a way in which we need to undo the harm that was done at the level in which it was originally done, and that includes the local and not only just the national. Interesting. I didn't really thought about that aspect of it before. I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying about it. This is a, a local problem. Mm. I mean, it's not something that can be solved by, you know, the internet or TV <laughs> or federal government. Alone. Right. A single magic wand or a single act. I mean, part of it too, Brian, is because uh, different local communities are going to have different specific needs, different ways in which harm was uniquely perpetrated in a given city or a town. And so the, the specific work that needs to be done in one place, it might be the federal in, interstate highway system that just tore right through the middle of a black community. For others, it's primarily a matter of education. For others, it's the lending system and the way it's ravaged the uh, housing market in a given community. It will look different in different towns. And so we want to give some flexibility and agility to the way in which churches and local communities can do that work. But it really speaks to the complexity and the difficulty in addressing right. these, right? Because right. You know, there is no, as you said, one size fits all. I mean. That's right, Brian. It, 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 there's a complexity to it. And, and that's, that reflects the nature of the complexity with which white supremacy has done its harm. It's thievery. It's plunder o over the years. And that's why uh, a major emphasis of our book, Brian, is really an understanding that we're talking about more than just economic theft and the repair therein. Um, you know, reparations is normally only associated with that single horizon, uh, the restoration of wealth. And we recognize that and that's gonna be an important part of it too. But we believe that there's been a theft of truth. And by that, what we mean is that there has been a deep multi-generational concerted effort to tell lies about African-American identity. Uh, sort of uh, the way in which the truth about uh, black people from the beginning, from the earliest days of their uh, abduction and enslavement um, here in this nation 
the truth of who they are and the glory that they've been invested in uh, by God has been obscured and has been overwritten uh, by lies. And the work of repair is to restore that truth and not only about African-Americans per se, but even about American history uh, that has been romanticized, much of black history being erased in common tellings of American stories. I mean, this has been a topic of the conversation over the last couple of weeks as people have been awakened to the reality of uh, the 1921 Tulsa massacre, uh, you know, from Tom Hanks on down to the rest, everyone noting, hey, I didn't grow up hearing about these things. Well, this is not the only time and place that this has happened. Let this be a lesson to us that there are hundreds, if not thousands of Tulsa-like massacres and other atrocities that were committed against the African-American community that have been erased in many cases, literally from our history books, or at least erased in our minds, willfully forgotten. We need to recover those things, tell better stories, memorialize some of these atrocities and recover the truth. That's the restoration of truth that we're talking about. And the same with power, whether if it's electoral power or if it's ecclesial power, or if it's different forms of social power, political power, uh, we need to give back that which was immorally taken. Yeah, wow. Well, I'm glad you're addressing all these different aspects of this. Yeah. So um, recently there have been some reparations related announcements, you know, by both Christian organizations and other institutions, educational. Do you have a view on those? Yeah, there's been some wonderful steps, both in local communities, Evanston, Illinois, um, as well as in uh, different institutions that have religious roots or that are explicitly Christian seminaries. So for example, example, Princeton uh, Theological Seminary announced the creation of a reparations type of fund, Uh, Virginia Theological Seminary um, as well. And they actually began um, making those payments. And so they're actually following through with their commitment. Um, Georgetown University, uh, which has Catholic roots, obviously, has also been under convers- in conversation. Um, so many different examples of this. And I, I, this is important work. It certainly is. Um, one thing to note is that, of course, the, the, the payment of uh, cash benefits to descendants of enslaved Africans is not in, it, in itself uh, able to repair every part of the wrong and harm that has been done. No, absolutely. It's an an incalculable harm. And so it's more than symbolic, um, but it certainly isn't exhaustive and comprehensive in and of itself. It still does need to be done. And it's important, however, how it is done. Um, It's something that we we, uh, 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 urge in our book, that it needs to be done in collaboration because the manner in which one seeks to give and to relate to the local African-American community is part of the healing process. (laughs) Restoring that relationship rather than just cutting a check and hoping everyone will leave you alone, right? So the process itself is important. As I mentioned before, we're concerned about the repair of truth and not just the repair of wealth. And so the way in which the story is told matters, both internal to that community or institution, as well as publicly. What exactly was done? What harms? what plunder, what theft, uh, what sin, what evil, and expressing that in a way that actually communicates and restores a better telling of the narratives that we've told wrongly up to this point. 
And so again, just to emphasize again, the way in which this work has done matters. So I don't know all the details of each of those cases in terms of all the process and uh, what the decision makers did and um, certainly you know, know how the media has covered each of those things. Um, just to say again, it's, it, those things are good starts and they are important, um, uh, more than gestures, but important uh, decisions that need to be made. And I hope they multiply. It, it is an encouraging start, um, but how it's done um, also matters greatly. Um, as if we are actually to see a real work of healing uh, to proliferate in this country across Christian institutions. Well, just seeing the reactions to those steps that have been taken, right? I mean, you know, there's a lot of controversy, right? You know, right. is it being done right, right? That's right. And um, it's certainly not easy and not everyone's going to ever agree on, you know, is this right or is this wrong or is this enough or is this not enough or whatever? I mean, I mean, um, that's right. It's incredibly difficult, but yeah. you know, I, I'm glad you're like presenting some principles, guidelines. I'm not sure if those are the right terms, but yeah, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I mean, Brian, one of the things that we also talk about, um, this would be the first part of chapter seven towards the end is um, the importance, not only of running out the door and doing the work of repair, but actually, uh, cultivating the kind of inner virtues that make us people of repair. And by that, what we mean is we don't intend to present a task that becomes merely transactional, cutting a check, doing a couple things in the name of repair. Rather, we long for this to be a, a lifestyle and we long for this to be a truly deeply transformative process for local communities as well as God willing. Uh, for the whole nation. And so what that means is cultivating the kind of humility that enables us to be more repentant people, that we can just, we learn how to tell the truth more readily, which of course is the hardest thing in the world somehow for Christians to do. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be. It's what we're supposed to do best by God's grace to be freed, to tell the story about our inner darkness, right? To be freed by God's love. Uh, to tell on ourselves, and yet so often it's Christians that are most offensive and Christians that have been most obfuscating about some of these racist realities. Um, we need to uh, teach our people, teach our communities, and learn it ourselves, um, the vulnerability and the humility of repentance and cultivate communities uh, where it's safe to do so and where we are on a regular basis learning to relinquish power, which of course is at the heart of white supremacy. What does it look like for us to learn to lay things down and to give up power, to lose control, even in the manner in which we give, uh, to not continue uh, with our hands still on the steering wheel from outside the car, as it were, <laughs> trying to direct and manage how even our so-called generosity is being used and spent and invested. So um, there's a lot of dying to self and taking up of our cross. I think that the American church needs to relearn or perhaps learn for the first time in this particular area that we don't even with good, intended, uh, good intentions fall into a habit of paternalism in the way that we do reparations, which of course would be the deepest of ironies that even in our efforts to make reparations, that we would do it in a way that perpetuates the very forces and habits that got us into this trouble in the first place. 
<laughs> well, doesn't it all speak to you know how far the church has gotten away from what the role model Jesus actually gave us? I think so. I you know, think so. And, and as you said, it's even a broader issue than just reparations and racism, and as big as that is, right? That's it's a right. Deeper issue. <laughs> That's right. I mean, this is really you know, there's a lot of people that feel like reparations is contrary to Christ. Although everything about the Christian gospel not only calls us to love neighbor as self, but tells the story of one who paid for wrongs that he himself did not commit <laughs> and who suffered for the wrongs that we did commit. And so there's a, there's a sense in which uh, we betray our faulty understanding of the Christian gospel by becoming a people as we see so often in our country, in the church, that are just always trying to defend the cause of the church, uh, defend ourselves over having to bear responsibility, that are uh, sort of constantly adjudicating the, the, the narrow way, the narrowest way in which we should be viewing these things so as to absolve and exculpate uh, Christians from any sort of responsibility. Uh, that's the furthest thing. Uh, from the Christian gospel and from the Christian spirit. Um, we need to relearn what true sacrificial Samaritan-like love of neighbor really can look like. So where are you and Greg taking this from here um, now that the book is out? What plans do you have either for, you know, additional work beyond books? Because I know you guys speak and things like that, but also in terms of future books. Right. Um, there's no plan specifically for any future books. Greg is currently working on uh, in the early stages of a documentary on reparations. And so these are just different uh, learning tools to generate conversation. I mean, really what we believe, even though if, if the work of repair as initiated by Christians is to really take root, uh, of course, we, we need to collaborate on the level of uh, mobilizing people and consolidating efforts and collaborating with one another. But at this stage, our greatest interest is in simply catalyzing a public conversation. Because as we like mm. to say, this is such a foreign notion, uh, an alien concept to most American Christians. Um, again, it should not be so, because if you do the work of history, as we tried to do in our book, you actually see that the first public calls for restitution, let's call it reparations for American enslaved people, was in 1715 by a Christian. So the, this has roots in the Christian tradition. What this work is all about, in a sense, is actually to reclaim and unearth the Christian commitment, Christian heritage of reparations, <laughs> to unearth that and dust it off. But also, again, uh, to recognize that this has been a conversation in the African-American uh, tradition, uh, both within the church and outside the church uh, for many generations. So it should not be as alien as it has been and as it presently is. We are so new to this conversation, collectively speaking. Um, that's the first thing we need to do. We need to learn the moral case, have deep foundations, uh, retrain our instincts, form new moral imaginations, around the true nature of racism, the true uh, power and effect of white supremacy, the true call uh, to restitution and to neighbor love, 
and that that as it fills our hearts our and our imaginations more fully that we believe that is where and when creative solutions and and uh, forms of collaboration will uh, naturally be generated but right now we're barely scratching the surface <laughs> we barely know how to talk about this we barely know what questions to ask of each other that's the phase in which uh, we believe we're in now and we're happy to be a part of that conversation and even just yeah well i mean you're right. I mean, you know, there's no arguing with what you're saying. Unfortunately, you know, we are just scratching the surface. Right. So it's just a lot of awareness and conversations that need to be had. That's so right. uh, I wish it was further along, but I mean, realistically, I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah, so. That's right. That's right. And I mean, yeah, I mean, just to say, you know, so far, I think it, it, what we need to continue doing um, you know, obviously is not simply to read the book, although perhaps that's a good starting point. Our hope and desire is not to have a corner on the market, even as far as books are concerned. We hope that this, this generates more interest in other Christians writing about reparations and that there's a whole uh, 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 effort that follows after this one to shine light on new angles, on new perspectives, from new voices, um, so that we are talking about this um, in a way that generates uh, not only repentance, but also joy, uh, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we believe uh, that we can uh, discover uh, a, a mystery of power, moral power going forward, um, if we pay attention uh, to God's call in this way. Well, do congratulations on pulling this off, you know, and getting Thank this you, book Brian. together. And, 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 and um, it sounds very interesting. I've got to read it. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to following, you know, where all of this goes from here. That's great. Thank you so much for expressing interest in it and in, in, in advance for reading it as well. And um, yeah, happy to keep on talking and having yeah, well, we'll, those conversations. Yeah, I will help get the word out as best I humbly can. And, um, you know, as I said, look forward to, um, you know, seeing how we can collaborate going forward. Yeah, sounds great, Brian. Thanks so much.